Netflix season three, coming at you with tiger blood and Adonis DNA, defeating earthworms with our words, making Sinatra, Flynn, Jagger, and Richards look like droopy-eyed armless children. Hashtag winning. Little Charlie Sheen reference. That's good. I like the I like the Charlie Sheen ref. We've all forgotten Charlie Sheen, and I I'm in favor of that. I think that was a good. It was a good move the culture made, the away from Charlie Sheen being of any interest to anyone. Well, I am, I am here to remind everyone, uh, <laughs> and I am Rylan Grant, uh, screenwriter, Ringo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and Suicide Jockeys, uh, and uh, proven winner, uh, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avalone, comic book writer, film guy, and uh, according to my background, frequent wine drinker. Nice. I, I, I like that, you know, that 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 opening is supposed to provide some momentum. And I like that uh, just every once in a while, I'll just run us right into a wall. Um, <laughs> it's fun to watch though, right? <laughs> um, uh, if you have missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, uh, I'm going to skip one and uh, go ahead and move on to the other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. So double on back and check it out. Screw Spotify. Uh, uh, but as always, uh, we have a great show for you today. Why don't we uh, go ahead and bring our guests on and I'll quit rambling Actually, here. Actually, I have one thing to plug. I oh, yeah, do it. Do it. I forgot about the plug. Today is, today is Wednesday, March 9th when this drops. And that means the fifth and final issue of uh, Elvira Meets Vincent Price is in your local comic book shop and in whatever morass of comicsology Amazon is currently operating at the moment. Um, it is the final issue. It is a standalone issue in its own way. And it also teases the very next Elvira series, Elvira in Horrorland, which will be coming your way in May. But plugs out of the way, let's bring in our friends, Skylar and Rich. Howdy, howdy. Hey. Welcome to the show. Skylar, why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, I'm Skylar Patridge. Um, I've done work for DC Comics. Um, actually, this upcoming week, uh, March 8th, will be Trial of the Amazons, which I'm actually working on part of with an amazing, amazing team of creators there. Um, I've also done some work on Wonder Woman, um, Gotham Villains. Um, work for Vault Comics. I worked on the second arc of Resonant with uh, David Andre, um, Jason Wordy, and just a variety of other comic comic publishers, Titan, D2, uh, Gout, Dark Horse, and on and on and on. Nice. <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> that's all. That's all. Yeah. Just a bunch of small things throughout there. <laughs> and Rich? Hey, um, so I'm, I'm Rich Duek. I'm uh, I'm the writer of uh, CSROs and Road of Bones uh, with uh, my buddy Alex Cormack um, at IDW. Um, also got a new series uh, coming out from Aftershock called um, The Ocean Will Take Us. Uh, that'll be out in April. Um, I have Happy Hill coming out right now with Joe Mulvey, who I also did uh, Wailing Blade with. Um, and uh, I've also done a little bit of uh, work with DC and Marvel. Uh, I did a story in Superman Red and Blue last year and DC's Valentine's Day special this year. And uh, over at Marvel, I did a, uh, um, a Wastelanders Star-Lord, which is like uh, basically like 
old, old man star lord um, nice. issue back in uh back in december very nice well that was you know that was the topic that we were going to kick off with today which is working for indie publishers and working for marvel dc and making that transition and is it a transition and it does it feel different and all of that um rich why don't you start us off with does does did it have a feeling of now i'm in the major leagues like what how how does it affect the experience in the process um yeah i mean i think it definitely there's definitely a difference um it you know it's something that i've been like kind of trying to get going for years and years by as far as like you know sending in my work to uh, editors at both companies and trying to get their attention and things like that and um you know for the most part you know nobody's ever like kind of mean but it's just sort of like uh, if you get a response at all it's like thank you very much and then uh then okay. you don't hear anything um but it's like you you can kind of like slowly over time get to know people and, and you kind of like follow up on the leads of the people who are responsive to you. You know, you might see them at a convention or whatever. And, you know, finally, like a couple of those um, leads paid off and, um, and it was great. You know, it's like amazing to kind of get an email in your inbox saying, you know, do you want to write a, a Star Lord comic? You know, it's like, uh, yeah. you know, absolutely. You know, uh, mm -hmm. but um it is a little bit different than than working um, on your own stuff in the indie space because um, there's a lot more um, moving parts, I guess you could say, um, because you're not only dealing with like the creative team and your own editorial team. It's like everything sort of has to fit into the bigger picture of like the company's entire editorial process. And, um, you know, when you're talking about uh, something like, you know, Superman or, or Spider-Man or something like that. You're talking about like a character that generates like millions and millions upon millions of dollars for, for, for these companies. So you sort of, you have to take that into account. Like when, you know, even, even in like the smallest, smallest story, you know, like my Superman story, I think was like about, 10 pages long but like or no eight pages but those eight pages had to like you know kind of not only pass muster as like a good story they had to you know kind of uh not violate anything that uh dc is like willing to do with superman like as a whole so right you know it's just like you know it, it's it's a thing that like i think to a certain extent the editors like shield you from having to like deal with it directly but it's definitely like a consideration and in their minds and, and just something you have to be aware of. Of course. Of course. I mean, it, you know, it, you, we can be flip about it, but it is, you know, the, you don't, the fan, you don't want the fans running your, your mind for you, but by the same token, it's like, it's a, it's a responsibility. It's, I mean, in Superman, this character that's been around since 1937, 38, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, well, and yeah. it's a, there's a pressure to do something, you know, the, the question we all have with these legacy characters is the, how could I possibly come up with something new to do? And mm -hmm. if I come up with something new to do, will anyone let me do it? And, well, it, 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 yeah, and it's not just, it, it's not just a matter of what came before 
and, you know, and, and what the expectations of the character are, um, you know, be it, I don't know, thematically and, um, uh, uh, I don't know, spiritually, like, uh, um, uh, uh, philosophically, all of these things. But then there's also, there's not just one Superman book right now. Like Rich was not telling the only Superman story that DC was doing. They, right. they had 10, 15, 20 in development. And so it's like, okay, well, can I do this? Or does it cross streams with what this guy's doing over here and what this, you know, this woman's mm -hmm. doing here with the character and, um, and what we're going to see in a year and in two years. And I'm sure you got that. It's like, can I do this? I ah, know you can't because in two years, we're going to take this left turn with them. And uh, you know, that would, fart in our, our proverbial dinner, you know? So, uh, so no, you can't do that. Uh, bring us something else. You know, the, 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 these are the things that I hear from people over and over again. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Eh, maybe if you do this. Yeah. I've always been fascinated with the, uh, the run of Star Wars between comics, between Empire Strikes Back and Jedi, because they literally do the plot of Return of the Jedi in the comics before Return of the Jedi. The Empire builds a second Death Star before Return of the Jedi. And I've always just wondered, did Lucasfilm go, if we tell him he can't do it, then everybody knows that's going to be the plot of the next movie. So let's just fucking let him do the second Death Star thing and pretend it didn't happen. And, you know, like, so I, I do wonder about those things and, you know, the long range plans. Skylar, how was it for you? What was your experience making that transition? Um, I think... I found the transition relatively, I mean, saying it was easy sounds overly confident. If I was terrified um, because there's a, there's big shoes to fill and they're, they're characters that have been around, like you said, for decades and they have their fan bases who love them. So you want, you want to do them justice and, and you want to be respectful of the character and, and the writer that you're working with and the editors that you're working with. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it was definitely intimidating to come into DC and Marvel and suddenly be handling characters that have so much history to them and, and so many people that love them. Um, but overall, you know, I think your your editors help you along and your writers encourage you and, and it keeps you moving and, and feeling like, you know, what you've been doing, if you've been working in indie comics or been doing something over here on, on the side, um, you, you take what you've learned over there and you bring it in, but you're just drawing and telling a story of a character that people know a lot better than your characters. Right. Um, from an artistic standpoint, I think the only thing I really ran into was um, having to dial back like blood. Working in indie <laughs> comics, you can just be like, you know, yeah, yeah that's one. Blood spatter. <laughs> and so there were there were some areas in there where I think it's in uh, Wonder Woman and the Road to Trial of the Amazons where Artemis is like just taken out a manticore. And I got a lot of freedom to work in that and, and kind of go wild with it. But yeah, there were some areas where we had to like tone down the blood just a little bit. I was going, I was going for it. So. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Was Wonder Woman a, a, a favorite character of yours uh, growing oh, up or in the present yes. day? Yeah. yeah, Wonder Woman was definitely like a bucket list character. Um, I, I liked Artemis as well. Um, so that was just like getting a chance to even work in anywhere within the Wonder Woman realm was awesome. Do you have any other bucket list characters you haven't gotten to yet? And this is like a boilerplate <laughs> comic creator question that we rarely ask because it's such a common one. But since it's our yeah. topic today, you know. For sure, yeah. Um, I think within DC, Supergirl is probably like like 
Wonder Woman and Supergirl are right about here with each other. Um, and so that would probably be one of my biggest bucket lists. Um, Punisher is another one and, and the Marvel realm would be one I would love to tackle. Uh, Black Widow. I love I love all of the more grounded stories within the comic realm. So all the yeah. all the spy stuff, all all of the, you know, um, you know the the space space stories are awesome. Uh, very very superhero oriented stories are awesome. Obviously, I love Supergirl, um, but I do really like you know Winter Soldier, Black sure. Widow, Red Room. Like I love those whole, the element of all of those those stories as well. So you, those you are the big ones for sure. The one time I had a Marvel opportunity 20 years ago and I didn't get to take it, they asked me who my dream character was. And I said, Nick Fury. And they kind of looked at me as if to say, don't, don't ever say that. Don't, don't, ever <laughs> tell people, don't tell people that you're d dying to work for Marvel so you can write Nick Fury. That's not, <laughs> that's not. And at the time, I think it was, was it Garth Ennis that was feeding Nick Fury's reputation into a, a wood chipper uh, and making it a toxic character no one could work with? So, uh, so it was not good timing for me. Uh, Rich, what about you? What's uh, are there? Was Star Lord a a, a character you had uh, grown up with or loved or on the bucket list at all? Uh, I mean, I, I like Star Lord, but I never like thought of him as like a character I'd like really kind of go after writing. Um, it just that was the opportunity, and, and I took it, and I, I was really, really, really enjoyed writing him. Um, you know, he's a lot of fun and, and especially kind of like the older version got to be a lot more, um, I guess, like like the humor I got to use was like a little more like cynical, a little more like uh, gritty and not like goofy, I guess, which, mm -hmm. you know, I think like the movie version of the character leans a little bit more into that. But I kind of wrote him almost as like um, almost like a old like how like kind of old han solo in like the new movies new movies you know like, i can't remember who it was that said the the genius of the first guardians of the galaxy movie is that it's star wars but it's five han solos yeah <laughs> there's no luke skywalker there's just it's just five cynical assholes yeah uh, competing to be who can be the most cynical asshole the least dedicated to saving humanity um that's interesting yeah it, it, Sometimes there is that thing where you you get offered an opportunity. Uh, the the one piece of Marvel writing I've done was sort of unofficial. I I helped uh, Eastman with a Conan uh, oh, short. Yeah. Conan is far from my favorite character, and certainly not my favorite Marvel character. If I didn't think of him as a Marvel character, but there's still that moment of like sitting down at the computer and going, "I'm writing Conan." Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's kind of I remember. I remember seeing the John Milius movie on a midnight show in whatever that was, that magical summer of 1981 or 82, when all of the all of the stuff that got greenlit after Star Wars came out had finally made it to theaters, and you had all these great uh, genre pictures. But uh, yeah, yeah well, well, one thing for me that was kind of funny because I like kind of wound up doing it in, in both the Star Lord story and the Superman story was like. Like if you look at my my Superman story, um, there's like ten villains in there. There are most of them in there are in there for just one panel, where like he's like punching them or blowing like he blows up like a a, a a laser that like Lex Luthor is making because the whole point of the story was like he was like kind of rushing through all these different fights, 
And then the Star-Lord story, uh, part of it is that he's kind of hallucinating all these dead heroes because it's the old man Logan universe and, and you know, most of like the heroes are dead. So like, so I had these kind of like brutalized versions of like the X-Men and the Avengers in there and stuff like that. And it's like, part of it was it was just like well i i got the shot and i don't know if i'm ever going to get it again so let me write everyone i was like i'm just going to put like a lot of guest characters in there just so i can you know say i wrote one panel with uh you know storm in there or something so, that's a really good idea yeah that is a really I good think idea. Some, something else that you run into is like you may not wind up working on the character that is your dream character but they might become your dream character in the yeah. process of writing yeah. them um, you know, I knew I knew about Artemis. I liked the character, but I would, I you know, Wonder Woman is where it was at in my mind. But so getting the chance to spend you know four issues with that character and, and spend more time with with Vita Ayala was writing that that short. Um, spend more time with Vita's version of Artemis. Like, sure, I adore Artemis even more than I did before. <clears throat> so you you kind of you can grow into these characters as you work yeah. with them. Yeah, and I, I, I think that, you know, it, it's an interesting point. I mean, just from a, I mean, I, I want to shift the conversation at some point into the kind of career building of all of this. I want to, you know, hear more. I mean, Rich already kind of touched on it, but um, so maybe we'll start with Skylar. But, you know, the, the I, I want to hear about the sort of step-by-step -step process of, of going from indie artist or indie writer to putting yourself in a position. What are the steps in order to put yourself in a position to uh, to get in, in a Marvel or a DC? How do you make that approach? All of these things. I think the process is really, you know, our, our, our audience is mostly creators, um, uh, you know, so so how do they do that? And But but you make a good uh, point, Skylar, where it's like, um, uh, you know, I mean, my, my answer to the like, oh, you know, if you could write any Marvel or DC character, who would it be? And it's like, where do you need me? You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if, I, I, you know, of course. Oh, oh do I want to write Batman? Sure. Do I want to write Iron Man? Of fucking course. But but you know, you don't you don't make that leap. You know what I'm saying? It was it, it, it was it was a problem I had early on in my uh, my film writing career. I mean, I, I I had a spec that made the blacklist and kind of blew up around town, and then I had a lot of opportunities thrown at me. Um, but then I, I sort of downshifted to snobby with them. You know, it's like, hey, you know, ah, fuck you. I, I don't want to write White Noise 3, you know, fuck you. <laughs> and, and here's the thing is if I, had, if I had taken White Noise 3 a little more seriously, if I had written White Noise 3 and just very quickly became the guy that, wrote, that did a really good job uh, polishing the turd of White Noise 3 and got my name on it, I would have been in a much better position. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, 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 the three jobs that I didn't get after saying no to that, um, I maybe would have gotten them if I was just the boo who wrote White Noise Three, you know, who just ate a little bit. And it's and 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 this idea that we have to jump to the end and look for the ideal situation. I think um, right. uh, uh, whatever you know, whatever character they put in front of you, it is a massive opportunity. They've opened the door for you. It's an audition, so you go in and uh, and and you you write the hell out of it, or you draw the hell out of it, and uh, and you have an editor there who. Um, who who maybe like you isn't as excited about working on this project as he or she would be this project, um, but you knock this project out of the park and they they look good to their bosses and then it's like okay well what else can we get this person on right oh, um, 
you, you know, and I, I, I think that I think that we all want to jump to the end, right? And a lot of times, you know, not everybody jumps right to Wonder Woman. You know, um, a lot of times this is a it's a game of inches, right? You know, let me move a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And so, I, I mean, Avalon, you, you might have a comment on that, but but after that, I guess like I would, I would like to hear about, you know, the two of you, your game of of inches. You know, uh, uh, you were you were creating comic books in your basement. You know, and 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 trying to get anybody to give a shit, right? And now you're drawing Wonder Woman, and you're writing Superman, and that's incredible. So, so how do we get there? Do you want me to start? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You Rich start kind here. of sketched it in a little bit, yeah. which I believe for boiled sure. down to hassle editors very politely for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I got from that. Um, yeah, um, for me. I mean, I would be lying if I said I had any kind of a plan going in. Um, I knew that I wanted to do, I wanted to make comics. And I happened to, for me, I had spent years working in uh, food service retail. I'd done all of the other jobs that you do while you're trying to do the thing you want to do. Um, and I just happened to get a job working in a gallery that specialized in comic art, which meant that locals in the area were submitting stuff for shows. And so that was, it's going back to what Rich said, is you meet people that introduce you to other people that get you to maybe to do something else that introduces you to the next round of people. Um, and so meeting those people at, at that gallery encouraged me to start looking into conventions. And that was when I kind of started looking into the convention scene and, and trying to make more work so I had I could actually table. Um, and then met more people that kind of encouraged you to maybe submit to an anthology or do something for Kickstarter. And, um, at the same time was utilizing social media, putting my work out there, you know, at, at that stage, I think the the bar feels low. Um, even if it isn't, the, you're just kind of throwing your stuff out. And so I just kind of put as much stuff on Instagram as I could, as much stuff on Twitter um, and just kind of kept making work and kept doing the the conventions um trying to interact with as many people as i could uh i had the the benefit of i didn't really pester editors <laughs> i was it was more of a just make sure your work is constantly circulating somewhere online at shows um and trying to keep it in front of eyes whether it's digital or or in person um so I think it for me it was a long game of show, like traveling to shows, uh, meeting more people, meeting people online who wound up going on to other jobs. Like that's the other thing I think comics is such a small industry that somebody you might meet who is just at a show tabling, maybe they've got a half table, like they could wind up being an editor at Marvel in four yep. years, and you don't know that. Nope. Um, so you never know who you're going to meet and where they're wanting to go or where they'll find themselves. And so, yeah, it's that makes it feel like there's a lot of pressure because it makes it feel like, you know, you, you have to walk on eggshells. But at the same time, it's just like be a good be a good person, make the work, keep going. <laughs> Don't yeah, be an yeah. asshole. It's, um, yeah, it's not a bad thing <laughs> to, you know, to, to go forward with the idea of maybe I should just be kind to everybody I meet at a convention. Yeah. Right. Uh, not it's simply because way to live your life. an editor somewhere, <laughs> but it's a good, it's, 
I was I was telling my wife a story the other day that uh, the, just this writ large in the film industry. I did a movie called Terror Within Part Two back when I was a grip, a goofy little horror post-apocalyptic movie. And there was a PA, I think her name was Heather, and I was very nice to her and very polite and whatever. And a year later, I get a call, and it's uh, Concord New Horizons, which is Roger Corman Studios, who made Terror Within 2. And the, the, the person calling me said, hey, I have the head of production for Concord on the line for you. Can you take that call? I was like, yeah, great. And the person comes and is like, hey, David, this is Heather. Remember me from Terror Within Part 2? And I'm like, you're <laughs> head of production now? And she's like, I was like, I know you were a really good PA, but damn, (laughs) that's a hell of a road in a year. But she was a really good PA and there was a lot of turnover down there because the pay is terrible. And she was like, hey, you want to be second unit key grip on five, six movies we're making uh, this season? I was like, yeah, sure, I'll come down. Um, And I, I got that by not being an asshole to the PA when she was a PA and then she was that of production in a year. And going back to you know, what Ryland said about you take what's put in front of you. In the last month, I have written Alan Quartermain and Gulliver of Mars stories for Dynamite. And in both cases, my reflex was, no, (laughs) I don't, come on. Gulliver of Mars, everybody hates that book. It's a terrible book. Uh, There's a reason it was out of print for a hundred years. But then I took a deep breath and went, which means you can do whatever the hell you want with Gulliver of Mars and no one's going to care. Uh, and I projected him 20 years into the future where I, I did the math. I was like, oh, wait, he'd be in combat in World War One. What an interesting experience for someone who spent a year fighting Martians, <laughs> like to be in the trenches with a machine gun and, a you know, carrying a sword that everybody is kind of baffled by. Why is that dude carrying a sword? It's like, well, Mars. Um, but all that to say, it's like, yeah, when they hand you the thing, the keys to something like that, you know, uh, it's, if you're good at what you do, you you give it a shot, you give it your best shot. I mean, my, my father was a writer. He wrote over 200 published novels and, uh, he had a quote that was a writer should be able, a real writer should be able to write anything from the Holy Bible to a garden seed catalog. (laughs) And he kind of lived by that. And I try to remember that when someone reaches out to me with something where my, if my first response is, oh, that just seems exhausting, <laughs> you know, to go, well, lean into the exhaustion. What can you, mm-hmm. like with Alan Quartermain, I was like, uh, do I really want to do a bunch of research about South Africa in 1895 just to write an eight page <laughs> comic book story? And it's like, Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> go, go learn about the war, war, my friend, because uh, this is this is where we're at now. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I I look back, and and there have been so many no's in my career coming from me. I mean, there's certainly a ton of no's on the other side because you know the, 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 this job and the film business, uh, uh, even more so. You know, it's all about hearing no over and over again, ten thousand no's, and then one yes, and your whole life changes, um, and then it's back to no's. But yeah, I mean, I. I can look back at 10, 15, 20 no's that, that came from, from this end. And if I changed two of those to yeses, I would be in a much better place, like catastrophically. Right. And, um, you know, I tested that, uh, God, month or two ago, um, somebody out of the blue hits me up on Twitter, you know, with an opportunity 
And, you know, I think like all of us, I'm normally a little like, uh, you know, you're hitting me up on Twitter. This is weird. And like, I don't know, a year ago or so, I would have been like, fuck this guy, block, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I stopped myself and I was just like, okay, well, what if I just listened, right? And, uh, you know, just fired a message back and started talking and, you know, twist and a turn, this thing mutates into a very lucrative, very long-term relation, uh, creative relationship with a, a, a company now. Um, and again, like, I, I think even a year ago, if I had not sort of adjusted my way of thinking, I would have slammed the, the, the door in this guy's face and moved on. And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think yes is interesting. And, and, and Skylar, your, your approach is very interesting because I like that it's like, you know, again, you weren't describing any huge leaps there. You know, it's just like, I woke up every day and I looked for my inch. How can I take an inch today? Whether it's on social media, whether it's, uh, you know, on the con floor, or whether it's, you know, working in a fucking gallery and making the most of it, right? Um, you know, again, like you, you have this PA job and you fucking hate it. You're, you're, you're grabbing coffee for people and whatever, right? Uh, and it is very easy to say, fuck these people and do it half-assed and whatever and move on to the next shitty job where you get paid $100 an hour to get shit on. Um, this woman that you're talking about, Abalone, very obviously took this job uber seriously and did, and, and, and did it as well as she could because, you know, a, a, a blink of an eye later, she is the head of production at said company of, uh, uh, you know, just go in and take your inch. Um, but, 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 but Skylar, like, you know, sort of getting back to your arc. So, so what, what was the first big, you know, breakthrough? What was the, you know, the, the first plateau that you hit where it's like, okay, well, I'm, I am now shuffling about taking my inch, you know, uh, mostly existing on, uh, on social media and, uh, you know, on the con floor and doing my, my own little indie books, but where does it change? Where, where does somebody say, Hey, I see a hustle in here and I'm impressed. And, 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 and how can we work together? Um, I believe I always say whenever I talk about like my trajectory in, in comics is when I talk about it, it sounds like it just, you know, happened. Like it was just one, two, three, four, five, when really it's, you know, all over the place and you, you contemplate quitting and you contemplate um, not, maybe not doing comics, maybe you should do something else that's, that's adjacent to it. Um, so I think it's one of those things where Saying that you wake up and, and you look for your inch is, I think, probably a really nice way of saying it because it, sometimes that's all it feels like you do over time, over years. Like it feels like maybe you only get a couple inches a year. Um, but I think this year is actually my my seventh year really trying to, to make comics a career. Um, and I would say last year and, and this year so far have been where it actually feels like there's traction. I've got my tires in the, in the dirt and I'm going somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, there there have been, you know, the next levels that you kind of step up to that have happened along that way. And I think the, the first one where it kind of started to click that maybe I was getting somewhere was Alex DeCampi actually reached out to me back in, I want to say 2018. And that was sort of, she was reaching out about working on a fantasy book. And so that was kind of the first moment where I felt like, oh, you know, somebody who makes comics and, and makes them well and has been making them for a long time is interested in, in working with 
me. So, is it, so Alex just saw your stuff online or something like that and said, "Hey." As far as I know, that's that's the whole weirdness with with social media, and I, that's you talking about somebody reaching out to you on Twitter. Like that's one of those things I always tell people is like, don't write off social media. Yeah. I uh, I as somebody like I'm a tangible person. So I understand that need to be like, I want to meet you face to face. I want to put my stuff in front of you and shake your hand. Like I get that, yeah. but all of my work has come from online. Like yeah. I would say 99% of it. And a lot of it has been Twitter and it sounds weird. You know, people always, always kind of joke about, you know, what's going down in the DMs. Um, and for me, work has been going down in the DMs. Like people yeah. reach out to me in in private messages a lot about books, and yeah, you know, I, I have I, I have that website. You. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I discovered you through the Visible Women uh, exactly hashtag, and I didn't remember that I had met you at you know from across the table at uh, yeah, I didn't either actually. <laughs> like I, you know, I mentioned you to Ben Bishop as someone I wanted to bring on, and he was like, "Oh, you know her?" I'm like, "I do, really." When did? And he's like, well, she might have been on the other side of the room, but you were in a room together at a Comic Con, and yeah. well, and, uh, and that, like that visible woman hashtag is a great resource. And I found, you know, you see a lot of art that you're like, eh, pass. But you know, I found I have a folder that I put five people's work in, and you just happen to be the top one of those five. So I reached out to you first, and when Ben said he knew you, I was like, well, good. This isn't just like someone I know nothing about, someone, you know, because we've all also had the experience in comics where if you don't know anyone's reputation, it's one thing to create a workable piece of comics art. It's quite another thing to be good to work with and to be, you know, to be someone you want to be in business with for any, you know, a, appreciable uh, amount of time. So I was glad I was going to take the leap anyway. And then Ben said, oh, no, you she's a friend of mine. You know her. It's fine. Well, yeah. I, it, 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 it is funny how those inches add up, right? I mean, because I I, I think about uh, both Skylar and Rich. Um, you know, I, I mean, we didn't we didn't know each other before you came on the show the first time, right? Um, but but I knew you. I knew of you. You know what I'm saying? You had mm -hmm. um, you you had enough of a presence online, and you had we had all these uh, overlapping friends, you know, I, I don't know how many it is, 50 mutual friends. Right. Who, who, so I had heard your name here. I had seen a, a retweet, uh, uh, you know, of you here or there. And same thing with Rich. Um, uh, I, I didn't know Rich until Rich and I played uh, an online poker game together, uh, I don't know, a month ago or something like that for Pop Cult HQ. Um, and I already, I felt like I knew Rich and I had never physically shaken his hand or had a conversation with him or anything. And so these are, this is how inches add up, right? Where it's like, okay, yeah. oh yeah, well, yeah, well, I know that person, even though you don't, yeah. <laughs> um, right. you, you, you know, so, so, uh, I mean, if you, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, for me, it feels sometimes like I'm making a spectacle of myself, you know, uh, uh, you know, let me see how many times I can get in front of, uh, you know, a, a crowd of a couple of hundred people at, at San Diego Comic-Con and, and make an ass of myself. Let me, uh, let me do a podcast here and scream at the, <laughs> at the top of it. And you know what I'm saying? But it's like, but, mm -hmm. but, but this shit adds up. It's like, Oh, Oh, I know him. He's the, it does. He's yeah. the guy the podcast. He's the guy who did that panel at, uh, at WonderCon. He's, uh, yeah. I can't remember what, no, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say with, with Ben, like I met Ben because we did, we were both contest oh, contestants is the right word. We, we were both um, artists that submitted our work to a, a cover contest for dynamite. Oh, okay. And so we, we both submitted work for the red Sonia cover contest 
years ago now. This feels like forever ago. But anyway, we both saw each other's work, liked each other's work, and just were like, hey, cool, like, like your stuff. And that was the beginning of that friendship. And that's, you know, the internet can be weird because you can you can run into a lot of people who have sort of parasocial <laughs> friendships with you, or, you know, they think that they're closer to you than they are. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you can wind up making these, these really yeah. great friendships from something that seems really another inch, you know? Yeah. So the I internet's be, weird. <laughs> I try to be as gentle as humanly possible with the parasocial relationships thing, because it's like, I'm glad, you know, I'm, I'm glad you have invested. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Nice that you care. Um, you know, and you can be kind of overwhelmed, especially during bad times with how much people who've never met you can care and be invested in your life and your happiness and your career and all that. And then you, you know, you take a step back and go, but I remember being invested in the lives and careers of people I never even said two words to and had no way of contacting. You know right. what I mean? The heroes of my youth in the 70s, it's like I will I couldn't go on Twitter and go, hey man, you're great. Uh you know, like that wasn't and then they could respond. Yeah. That's and now so have, crazy. Now we have this wild world you know, I replied to something Neil Gaiman posted the other day with a joke and he retweeted it. And I don't, I don't know Neil Gaiman, but it was just kind of a funny, like, that's an odd, it's an odd thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's nice to be noticed, but it's an odd thing. It is. Yeah, for sure. And, and I agree. I, I think I tend to be, I'm always flattered when anybody, like you said that you had heard of me, whenever anybody's like, oh yeah, I know you. Like that's yeah. still does not compute when people say that to me because I just feel like I'm over here drawing my little pictures and sending them out into the into space um, for maybe somebody to like. And yeah. so um, I totally, it, I totally yeah. get that. I, I yeah. remember being at some convention a couple of years ago when one of the first times I was tabling and a guy came up, looked around and said, I have all of this. And I just kind of went, really? <laughs> You're like, I don't know you. Wow. How do you know my <laughs> You're not my mom. What, yeah. you know, why did you buy all of these comic books? That's an odd thing for you to have done, sir. Well, I've uh, had people come up at shows and be like, oh, yeah, I follow you on Twitter. And then I have to be like, Ooh, you know, oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry about all the rage. <laughs> sorry about all the weirdness. Yeah. My yeah. But, it, but again, <laughs> that thing of like, you know, in the 70s, I would have, you know, I would have been following Leonard Nimoy on Twitter. Like, that right, would've, yeah. would have been great. You know, that would have been, that would have been a lot. And when people, you know, when you think about what forms your career, and it's part of the reason in some ways we do this podcast, I think, you know, there was a time when everything I knew about filmmaking was in the making of Star Trek book the art of star wars book the book that had the 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 uh storyboards from the empire strikes back it's like that's you you partially learn the craft by learning the by hearing the behind the scenes stuff of the stuff you love and you know oh, that's I mean, that's how that was done. Yeah, d director commentaries were a fucking revelation. I remember, and you know, I, I probably heard my first one in nineteen ninety eight or something like that. You know, uh, um, you know, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I, I can go into the school library and get the do the right thing laser disc. 
you know, that, that they have to bring out in a cart because it's like five massive discs like this. Right. Uh, you know, the Criteria Collection, and it's like, okay, let me put this in. And after a half hour, I have to pull it out and put the other one in. But Spike Lee, you know, the, Spike Lee is going to, I'm going to watch the film with Spike Lee. He's going to tell me why he did this and what he did and what he did. And then after that, there is a 90-minute documentary about the making of the film. And I'm actually going to see Spike talking to the actors and, and I'm, you know, Oh my fucking god! Oh, and wait, uh, you know John Woo did one, and uh, and um, you know there's one on Goodwill Hunting, and I get to listen to Matt and Ben talk about you know writing this thing, and uh, uh, I mean it was yeah, I mean it's it, mind blowing, right? It's like we, you know, we have so much information available to us right now that we sort of take it for granted, yeah. but uh, but yeah, I remember how just amazing that was. Yeah, no, it's 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 a necessary component, and I think it's easy when you're doing this stuff for a living to forget being nine years old and seeing your first call sheet in the making of star trek and going oh that's that's how everybody gets to set on time that's how they know <laughs> little do i know that someday you know 30 years in the future i will be in a motor home miserably filling these out by hand you know <laughs> uh or looking over the or five years later looking over the shoulder of a younger person typing it into a laptop and going man i wish i'd had a laptop five years ago when i was doing this um, you know, it's a, it, it, and this industry in particular, I mean, I always like to harp on that, you know, it's so easy to get your work out there. It's not easy to be seen. It's not easy for anybody to love it. It's not whatever, but you know, all it took for me to discover Skylar was her, for her to do amazing work and put a hashtag on it. And then it floated across my eyes and I went, oh, this is amazingly good work from someone I have never heard of. And that's, that's something that I should uh, look out for. And, you know, we, I think we all also have that dream of like, you know, helping someone and discovering someone who, who needs it the most, um, you know, so you're all, that's, that's another factor when you're looking, but, you know, I will say it's like Twitter, when I walk around artist alleys, 75% of what I see there, I'm just like, okay, this person does not want a, a job making comic books. This person wants to sell pinups at a convention and that's fine, but I'm walking up and down artist alley to find people to work with. And right. it's amazing. I will, I have gone to whole conventions and walked up an entire artist alley. And aside from the people I already knew, I've been like not one and if I see someone with like beautiful pinups of someone else's franchise, I always say, is there under the desk? Do you have any sequentials? Do you have anything you created? Can I see something that's not a beautiful painting of Princess Leia? Like we all love a beautiful painting of Princess Leia, but you know, give me, tell me, show me what you can do and what you've got, you know? Um, so it's a, it's an interesting thing, but yeah, you can, if you're an artist in particular, it's a lot harder if you're a writer, if yeah. you're an artist, you can, yeah. you know, I can't just put a, a script <clears throat> on Twitter and go, look at how great this dialogue is. Uh, right. People would think I was a crazy person and they would be, you know, not incorrect in that. So, so Skylar, sort of back to the story. I mean, you're, you're, so you, you, you have this internet presence, this con presence, you're meeting people. Uh, you make yourself so visible. You take enough inches that the Alex DeCampi start reaching out and and, and contacting you. Um, when does that when does that morph into you know how do we get from there to you know suddenly you're 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 drawing uh, uh, Wonder Woman right? When does 
when did the big dogs start uh, start calling? Do they reach out to you? Do you reach out to them? Um, uh, are, are there are there hurdles uh, between there and and here and and all of that stuff? Oh sure, <laughs> there's definitely hurdles um, because I mean the 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 big two stuff started to to come in last year. That was that was the first time it happened, and it was it was another stepping stone situation. So. Last spring, they reached out about the DC Pride uh, anthology that they did. So I, I wound up working with Vita on the question, Renee Montoya's story there. And I had known, I actually met Vita online. Um, we actually didn't meet in person for, I wanna say maybe two or three years, but we had interacted online and, and became friends online. And we, we're trying to find something to make together. And this was this was right about the time that they started to kind of take off. Um, and so, you know, stuff happens and we kind of just couldn't find anything to work together on. And then their work took off and, and they've been doing amazing ever since. But anyway, we stayed in, in contact that whole time. And, and I think when Vita found themselves at DC with that opportunity to tell them on uh, Renee Montoya's story, they thought of me. Um, and so it was a, another example of who you've met and, and who you befriend and, and who you've networked with and where they wind up. And so comics is so small that you wind up pulling people with you as you can. You know, you may not be, always be able to, it might not always work out, but trying to pull those people along with you, your buds and, and people that you know are capable and, and can do the work. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful to Vita for that. And so, Worked on worked on the question story, and once that wrapped up, uh, kind of led into the Aquaman work that I did, mm -hmm. and that led into the Gotham the Gotham Villains anthology that I worked on, um, and then wound up at Wonder Woman. So it was it was sort of a stepping stone situation uh, that that kind of felt like it came out of the blue, but it, it was very much a reaching out to me situation. Like you said, it was kind of one of those: Do you want to work on Renee Montoya? Like, duh. <laughs> like obviously they have to ask the question for you to say yes but it always feels like just crazy that they would ask you if that's something you want to do like of course it is <laughs> so yeah so it was it was definitely like I said it's it's been I want to say three years since I started working with Alex and so all that time in between has been still hustling. You know, I, I worked for a movie theater company for a while doing like pinups for them. And, and uh, it was a little local theater here. Um, so it's filling in all those gaps along the way while you're trying to maintain that connection with people and keep networking. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely baby steps a lot of the, a lot of the way. And, and there are, you get those moments where you go from I've been working on indie comics and feeling like nobody's paying attention for three years to getting that email in your inbox. And it's hard to pinpoint exactly where that, where you, where you uh, planted those seeds, yeah. but they've, if you can keep at it and you can keep going and, and you've got the right attitude and they eventually sprout not to be all metaphorical about it. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah. yeah. If, I can, if I can hit an, hit you with another metaphor that, that, that maybe turns into a meta five, like, we're, you know, let's just all speak metaphorically now, but there's this, there's this metaphor that, that gets used in Zen a lot where, uh, where they say uh, uh, enlightenment insight, 
uh, it's never like getting hit with a bucket of water. Everybody assumes it's like, okay, well, I'm, 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 I'm I've been, I've been meditating for 10 years and suddenly I get hit, you know, I, I get hit in the, the face with a bucket of water and I'm enlightened and all this stuff. But um, in truth, uh, enlightenment insight, uh, it, it comes more slowly. It's basically like walking through fog, right? Um, you're walking through fog for a long time and you don't notice it, but you are slowly but surely getting wet. And then at some point you look down and you're soaked, right? The fog has soaked you over time. And it very much seems like, I mean, sure, we've all heard stories of people getting hit, you know, in the face of the bucket of water, uh, proverbially in this business, but more so you take your inch, you take your inch, you take your inch, and it, it, it feels like you're not getting anywhere. And then at some point you look back and, and, and oh, wow, I've traveled a couple of miles here. Right, <laughs> how, how did that happen, right? Um, that's, yeah. that, that's very interesting. I mean, I, I just like this. I like this. Again, I'm, I'm always trying to bring it back around to, you know, what are the creators going to take from this? And, and this idea that, um, you know, you just wake up every day, you just try to try to take your inch and then wake up tomorrow and do it again. And don't, you know, d don't get discouraged by it. Be nice to Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> again, be nice to everybody. If we're going to go back to the Zen thing, you know, the, the, yeah. the Buddha, the Buddha taught two things. And I think Jesus taught the same two things. And, and, and anybody, it, it, it was the Buddha said, meditate and don't be an asshole. Right. That's all, that's all he taught, and and you know, it, it, it for two thousand plus years, uh, 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 people have ran with that advice, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great thing. And then, I mean, the other thing, I was, uh, you know, the the idea of, of of your writer kind of bringing you in uh, uh, is is really interesting, and it's it's something that I've something that I have subscribed to uh, from moment one, and maybe even the reason that Avaloni is uh, uh, sitting with me. Uh, <laughs> doing the show is when a door opens for me, my first thought is to try and jam 12 of my friends uh, uh, through it before yep. it closes. Um, and, and I think it's, it's how we all win. Like the comics is a team sport, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we, we win or we lose together. Um, and, and I think that's interesting. And I think your story sort of, uh, 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 plays that out. Uh, Rich, you're back. Um, yeah, welcome so, back, Rich. Uh, uh, we probably should have addressed it, particularly for those who are, uh, uh listening, to, uh, who are watching the video, but, but for you are listening, Rich seemed very quiet for a little while. He had to run down to the bus stop <laughs> and, uh, and pick his, uh, his child up, uh, from school. Um, thank you, Rich, for, uh, for, for, for returning and, and playing that out with us. I, I love, uh, you know, I love the, the age we live in. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, you don't look winded. Um, uh, yeah, so that's a good thing. But let's, yeah, let, let's get into your story. You know, let's let's talk. Let's talk about the, um, you know, just just the steps along the way, the inches you took, I guess. You know, you are I, I mean, what's interesting about you is that you, you have a very you have a very good day job. You, yeah, you know, you, yeah. You're in the advertising business. And so this started out as something you're doing on the side and now you're writing for Marvel. So, so, so yeah. bring, bring us from point A to point B. So, you know, like, um, you know, advertising, it, it, it's a good industry when you're uh, creative because you do get to like, write. at least when you have my job, it's like, I get to like, write and think about um, creative solutions, like, you know, every day, but you don't really have, kind of the creative freedom to do what you want all the time because you have to deal with your clients and ultimately it, it's it's their money and and you know there's a lot of hoops you have to go through so i kind of started writing comics as as like a creative outlet for myself like a way where you know i could kind of have an idea and just do it and nobody would be able to kind of tell me 
oh, we don't have the budget for that or that's not what we really want to say or anything like that. It was like, you know, um, something that I could basically like run, you know, have the final word on. And um, not to say that I don't listen to my collaborators because I do. And it's, uh, you know, the more I've done it, the more collaborative I've gotten. But I just, as far as like starting out, that's what I was really looking for is just sort of like a little bit of measure of control and in, in kind of the um, creative decisions I was making. Um, and I had been like writing for a long time, like trying to get, um, trying to write a novel, which is, you know, not a small undertaking, especially when you've never um, written anything or, or, or like, you know, finished a short story or anything. So I'd always kind of like get going and like lose steam and get going and lose steam. And, and I don't know, like, what it was but one day i was just thinking about comics and i was just like hey you know like i really love reading comics uh i never really thought about uh, you know i always dreamt about writing them but i was like I, I wonder if i would enjoy writing scripts more than i enjoy writing um you know not that i don't enjoy writing prose but i just started thinking like let, let me let me give it a shot and just started doing like short stories like um five page stories six page stories and just the act of kind of like completing them and then finding an artist and getting the artist to, you know, draw the script up. It was kind of intoxicating almost just like, you know, I started to gain a lot more kind of confidence and I was really getting really excited about it. Uh, the stuff I was doing. So when I started out, I was just self publishing because I didn't really know anybody. I didn't know how you would even kind of, approach publishers. So I was just sort of putting putting these books together, printing out like 50 copies, 100 copies, going to a convention and handing them, you know, I didn't even really table, I just sort of like walked around at people's tables and like handed them to people and, and stuff like that. And um, it took like a few years, but um, I, I was working with um, this uh, place called comics experience which is kind of an online um i guess you call it like a school or like a program or something but basically they, they give online classes as far as like how to write intro to writing comics intro to drawing comics and a great part about it was it was just like meeting other people that were also trying to get started and really didn't have much of an idea so we're getting guidance from the instructors but also meeting like a whole bunch of people who are in the same boat and like we would meet up at conventions and talk and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, Andy Schmidt, the guy who runs it, decided that he wanted to start publishing some of the stories that the people in in the classes were doing. And he really liked one of my stories called Gutter Magic that I was developing into a mini series. So he kind of helped me get it in place at IDW. And then once that got published, it made it a lot easier to approach publishers because I could say like, here, you know, here's a book I did with IDW and it's not, you know, um, it's, it's almost like, um, there's this one guy who was at Oni press that I had been, uh, I had been seeing him at conventions for a couple of years and giving him my stuff and he was always really polite and stuff. And then when I handed him the book with the IDW logo on it, he just said, Oh, I see. Now you're a made man. It's like, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's almost like, like one publisher let you in. So you're sort of like 
yep. a little bit more like in the club now, you know, and it's not that it makes it easy, but it does make it a little bit easier. Yeah. You know, it, uh, it shows it, that like somebody took a chance on you. Somebody had enough faith in you to, uh, to publish something you did. So it just builds the case that, you know, maybe they should take a chance on you as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So then from there, it was like, so gutter magic finished. Um, and I, I started pitching books uh, around that time. I, I start. I was pitching Wailing Blade, which got picked up by a smaller publisher called Comics Tribe. Um, and I got a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles book, just like one issue that I did. Um, and that was from one of the editors. I was work that the editor that at IDW that had worked on Gutter Magic was also working on TMNT. So. I, you know, I asked him if he had anything and he was like, yeah, you know, we have like uh, this like side series you can you can pitch for. So and that was great. And then Road of Bones happened, which was actually like my first kind of like you could call it like a hit, I guess. You know, I, I don't know, like if it's a hit in the grand scheme of things, but it like it's incredible. Right? I sold out first printing <laughs> first issue went through like three printings and like every issue is kind of like selling out and um people were talking about it so so that kind of again it was like just like like one more like one more rung of the ladder and then see if sorrows happened we pitched that as like a follow-up to road of bones and see if sorrows did well and then a lot of people were kind of you know i think after see if sorrows is when i first started having publishers kind of like coming to me like asking me if i wanted to work with them which was like opposite day or like freaky Friday or something. It was like that, like it never happened. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think, I think it's a lot of it is just sort of like building momentum and just keeping putting, uh, just keeping, keep putting stuff out there. And like, you know, everyone, like if, if you're lucky, everyone is going to do like a little bit better than the last one and a little bit better than the last one. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's the sort of thing where it's a little bit hard as a writer to get the attention of, of editors and stuff because, um, you know, I can send my books anywhere to like anybody, but, you know, in order for them to really get a sense of, of my writing, they're going to have to like sit down and read it. And it's that whole like, you know, uh, not to be cliche, but like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it, make them drink. You know, it's like, I, I sent tons of editors, my books. And like I said, no one's ever been like mean, but I know that the vast majority of them probably don't even open the email, mm -hmm. you know, or if they do, they might open it, say like, Oh yeah, I want to read that. And then mm -hmm. like, they get another call that like, you know, uh, there's like a there's a ton of mistakes on this book and they have a fire they have to put out and they just kind of forget it. So it, it's it's the sort of thing where it just takes years and years of trying and years and years of like, you know, like, quite frankly, like really discouraging, like lack of feedback, you know, mm -hmm. like the majority of emails I send even now get like no replies, you know, and it's you know, it's not because any of them have anything against me or think I'm like an asshole for emailing them. It's just they just don't have time. And it's, you know, 
it's it just is what it is but i mean it's the sort you know you, you sort of have to at least the way i look at it it's like you 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 send it and hopefully you just sort of catch them at the right time and then when they're interested and you know an opportunity could happen sure you know I, and even if they love you yeah they might I, haven't not told, have I haven't told ryland this but i have a feeling <clears throat> that joe ryband is listening to these at some point because i've joked about how i never get like i'll send in a script and just not even get like, <laughs> I'll, I'll get like got it exclamation point and i'm like any feelings about it one way or another and you know i've always joked that he's got the john ham thing of like i pay you and i keep hiring you what i also have to tell you you're great every day like i don't need to do that i've started getting back terse got it fantastic stuff exclamation point and i'm like i swear he's listened to me make that joke on here and gone all right fine i'll tell you the fucking scripts are good jesus do i have to it's very i it's it's sweet to me but it's I, I, I yeah I, I i i won't mention a name um but you know there was a there is a uh you know an editor uh an executive i don't i don't know how, how you would categorize him but um Someone I met at a convention, and we had mutual friends, and we kind of struck up a conversation and traded cards. And he's like, you know, hey, you know, next time you have something, email me. And I've sent him, you know, three, four, you know, uh, uh, different projects, and and no reply. And um, and you know, here's me on the other end, like anyone would be, you know, like seething a little bit, right? You know, fuck you, dude. Yeah. You told me to send to you. <laughs> You're not even gonna say, hey, you know. Uh, um, and then, you know, follow him on social media. Like I follow, you know, uh, anyone else in the business that I've, I've come into contact with. And he wrote this very long post on Facebook, um, bringing like a very serious issue to, to, to the crowd, you know, to, to the mob being like, Hey, can you help me sort through this? And he's basically saying like, look, I, I have like, I get like 2000 emails a day and I, I, I literally I have no idea how to sort through this at this point, you know, uh, I mean, how to categorize this, how to do that, how to do this, how to do that. He's like, I'm thinking about paying someone a lot of money actually just to, you know, to go through my emails, you know, uh, uh 2000 emails a day is a full-time job. This person will read my emails, you know, uh, uh, delete most of them, categorize, uh, uh, triage the other ones, uh, put them in front of me, like short of hiring an assistant, this person could not, read his emails every day um and 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 you know that's just his business account he probably has his personal account where his family's emailing him and right. his, uh, his whatever his landlord his uh you know what i'm saying and so it, it, and so you you have to take that into account i mean the, this is good advice rich where it's like these people are so inundated and uh, and, and literally everyone and their brother wants a piece of their time um and 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 these people have you know uh they're worried about the whatever it is, five, 10, 30 books they're responsible for, they're actually in print. Uh, uh, and then they're responsible for the um, the proposals that are coming in from Kevin Eastman and Garth Ennis and uh, whoever else. Um, and, and and on top of that, they have, um, they have families and they have mortgages and they have uh, grandparents that get sick and, um, and they want to see their friends every once in a while, right? Uh, they want to head out to a beer with their colleague. And so they have this much bandwidth uh, yeah. 
uh, they have a thimble full of, of attention to devote to this sort of stuff. And they have a thousand people trying to pour a pitcher of liquid into it. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 and so you have to, um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you, you have to take that into consideration. You have to not take it personally when you don't get a response or you get a quick no or whatever. Um, uh, but also there is this other question. How do you make enough noise to rise above that? You know, again, yeah. when you become the guy with the IDW book or the guy with three or four IDW books, then when that triaging happens, uh, uh, you get put up, um, you know, you, you get put into a higher category, right? Um, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and for me, it was, okay, well, when I came into the business, I didn't have any, I didn't have any comics experience, right? Um, uh, so how do I get seen? Right? Who the fuck is going to give a shit about me? And I had the benefit of having this this film business. I could say, oh well, I'm you know I this is my first comic book, comic for my first love. But you know I've written for uh, Ridley Scott and John Woo and Luke Besson and 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 JJ Abrams and stuff like that. And then suddenly it's like, okay, well then maybe I should give this guy a look. Uh, doesn't always help, but but you know. So I would say when you are contacting these people, right? You know, uh, be short, be sh be sweet, be quick. Uh, uh, lower your expectations on any of this stuff, but give them a reason to take a look at it. Put it yeah. front and center. Don't don't bury it under the rubble of you know a thousand other words. It's like I, I am this person. I have this book, and this is why you should take a look. Just very quickly, yeah. right? And yeah, and I mean the hard part is, or I would say like one of the hard things I think to, it's like the hard pill to swallow. I think for someone for like someone trying to get into writing like for dc or marvel or most properties is that you sort of have to understand that like you might have like the coolest batman story ever written like in your head it might and it might everybody thinks they do you might legit have it and it doesn't really matter because the thing is is that there's a large group of people who are going to buy Batman, no matter who's writing it, no matter who's drawing it, no matter what. It's like, it's not like they need you to rescue Batman from the gutter of like, you know, plummeting sales and like you're going to be the kind of secret sauce that turns it into a success. It, it you know, and that is true to varying degrees with like everything at Marvel. You know, like people are going to buy X Men no matter what. You know, people are going to buy, um, their favorite characters and even if it's like an obscure character you know and if they like what you're doing then great if they don't like what you're doing they'll go on twitter and complain about it but they're still going to be buying it so it's like that's not really the problem that editors need you to solve as like a writer or an artist you know the problem is not that they don't have don't have any good stories to tell the problem is not that they don't have any innovative takes on on the characters because everybody has like a take and everybody has a cool story and even probably like the lamest stories still have like will still like resonate with certain people it's like the problems that editors have are are you reliable are you easy to work with you know if they give you a task are you going to you know like if i if i ask skylar like hey skylar can you draw these 10 pages by you know in two weeks you know and you say yes that they're going to be in my inbox when, when you promise them, you know, if you're a writer, like, do I need to like hold your hand 
do I need to hold the writer's hand through everything? Or if I, if I say like, here's what we need, are you going to be able to deliver it? And unfortunately, those are not things you can prove unless you actually do the job. You know what I mean? It's like, like Skylar, I don't know if you can hit a deadline until I work with you and give you a deadline and, you know, do you hit it or do you not? So I think the things that you need to show editors you can do in order for them to want to work with you, there's kind of no real way to do it without actually working with them. Mm. And the closest thing you can do, I think, is completing projects either on your own or with other people, because that's at least like proof that you can get it done and you can get it out there. You know, well, there, yeah. Well, there, there are some tea leaves to read there, right? I mean, if you're, um, if it, I mean, you you did a lot of work at IDW. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I, you didn't do one book at IDW, and then they they never yeah. took your phone call again. It's like, okay, well, IDW came back to that well a couple of times, so yeah, they're probably pretty happy with them. Uh, we can probably count on a certain measure of, uh, of professionalism uh, uh, with this guy. And, and, and so I think that says a lot about you. I mean, I think that, that you know, if you can prove yourself and, and, and I think that's what's really interesting about your story, Rich, is that, you know, it's not that you weren't fighting the battle on all fronts, like all of us and taking your inch here and your inch there and all that stuff. But you, um, you had an opportunity at IDW. You're like, okay, well, there, there is an elevator to the, 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 the top of this building right here. So, right. so, and they like me and it's, it's a lot easier to, to get people to read things, uh, uh, to get yeses here. Um, so I'm going to make the most of this. I am, I am in this store right now. And so let me just, let me set up a fucking tent here. Uh, <laughs> and, let, and let me do as much work here as I can. Um, and the other thing, yeah. The other thing is that people like they talk to each other, you know, people talk to each other, editors talk to each other. So it's like, if you do a good job with one person, you know, maybe they'll recommend, maybe not even like, formally recommend you to somebody but they could be just like sort of talking to somebody uh talking to another editor and being like oh hey like you should check this out that's worth a ton more than like me sending my own stuff out no and you know that's also a big part of the reason why i said yes to alan quartermain and gullivar of mars is you really want to be someone who they come to with things and you want to be someone they come to with challenging things. Um, you know, there was a period I I had petitioned to be in an anthology series, uh, a Red Sonia anthology series, and they they gave me one on a very short leash in terms of time, and I turned it around in probably three, four days. And then immediately the same editor was like, oh, hey, I also got a Vampirella anthology coming up that's got a 10 page hole in it can you do that for me sure and then this you know the quartermain and and uh and gullivar thing came up and i think it was really because you know like when you're when you're the all-purpose tool <laughs> you know when you when you can when you when you take on everything and never say you know and i have said no to things i you know there have been i have been offered a couple of licensed books based on real people where I went, that is not an interesting enough person. I'm sorry. They should not be in <laughs> books. I and I will not write about them. I, I will not contribute to making that person more famous, but thank you very much. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, I, I, you know, it, it did a similar thing in the film business. We, you know, we just set up our, our television show, which I've, I've talked about, you know, more than a few times on this, this podcast, but um, you know, that was a product of, 
Um, we are doing our six, I, I say we, because I, I do a lot of my film and TV stuff with a partner, but we're doing our, I don't know if it's our sixth or our seventh project with these producers. Um, and the story generally is, Hey, we have this piece of talent. Um, uh, you know, it was, uh, Adam Wingard at, at one point, you know, uh, uh, who directed the, the Kong versus uh, Godzilla movie. And, um, you know, they're just like, Hey, you know, we, we have Adam and, uh, you know, Adam has this idea and, you know, he doesn't have the time to write it cause he's off directing giant things. So like, why don't you, uh, why don't you come on in and sit with him and see if you can figure stuff out. And we get this reputation uh, as guys who could do this. And so we sit down with Adam for a couple of hours and, you know, he leaves the room feeling like a million bucks and that we've figured out a direction on this thing. And then it's like, okay, well, how do we, uh, let's, let's put pay, let's get this thing on paper and let's, you know, let's move along. And it was a similar thing with the TV show where it was like, they're, uh, they're, they're producing blind spotting with David Diggs and Raphael Casal. And it's like, well, uh, they, they're, they want to know what the next thing is, you know, uh, everybody in town is, 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 is you know, wondering what, what they want to start in together next. And so, why don't you guys sit down and figure it out with them? Right. And, and, and we did that. We spent a couple of weeks with them and just hashing it out and they had some ideas and we had some ideas. And then suddenly we had this, this TV show that, that, you know, is now set up. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, again, you, you, you go in, you equip yourself professionally, right. Uh, uh, and, and it's about deadlines and it's about being great to, be, to uh, a great hang, you know, uh, uh, easy to get along with that you're, you're going to come in throwing fireballs every day. Uh, um, and once they know they can count on you, uh, they're going to keep coming back to that well. I mean, I think that's very, it is a very big deal. And, uh, I will say, cause this cracked me up, uh, an editor who ghosted me on a project, had a tweet the other day on Twitter about how you should always be professional and respond to your emails. And I bit my tongue as hard as I have ever bit my tongue in my life. Cause I, they're a nice person and I have no desire to call them out. And I'm sure there's a good reason why they got busy and I never heard from them again after they reached out to me to ask me to pitch a comic book to them. Uh, but yeah, it it does go both ways, but you do also have to be tolerant and know what everybody is dealing with and how much, because of the nature of the business. Look, it doesn't pay that well. We all got our hands in a thousand things. You know, we're all juggling a bunch of stuff, and whoever whoever hits you in the foreground with the the best reason to keep working, that's where you're going to direct your energies until the next person hits you with a good reason to focus on what they want you to focus on. So it's a, it's all freelance is a, is a question of juggling. Uh, and it's just a thing you have to get used to. And, you know, one thing I wanted to say before we wrap up is I never want to present the idea that the big two are more valid or more worthwhile work in any way, shape or form. It's just they pay the best and they have the most iconic characters. And that's really what it comes down to. I always kind of wisp. I did a Zorro panel because I had done a Zorro comic. And I always kind of whisper into the microphone, I'd rather write Zorro than Batman. <laughs> Don't ever tell anybody at DC I said that. Because, of course, I would love what I'd really like is to make Batman money writing Zorro. That would be yeah. <laughs> or or Spider-Man money writing the shadow. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've said it. I've said it before. It's like you you start doing this, and then you you're, you you have your book. You have to go out and promote your book, and 
you're promoting your indie book and there's a little success with it. And the first question you get from everybody is, okay, well, well, what, what is your dream character? Who do you want to write? And, and they assume it's going to be a Marvel or a DC character. And, 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 you know, the first couple of times I got, I got asked that question, I just sort of fumbled through it and said what people, you know, I thought people wanted to hear, like, um, I don't know. I guess Moon Knight would be kind of fun and blah, 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 blah. And it's like the truth at some point I had to stop and be like, okay, I've answered this question three or four times now. I need to, I need to figure out what my actual answer is. Um, and so I sat down and I thought about it and, and I'm like, you know, it's, it's not Marvel or, or DC and, and not to say that I would turn down one of those jobs, of course. And, and, and it would be a lot of fun and I would love it. And so please call, but, um, but, my dream job, I want to write a Johnny Lawrence story. <laughs> IDW has the Cobra Kai license. Uh, Johnny Lawrence is my spirit animal. That's my fucking dream. If I could write anything right now in comics, I would write a Johnny Lawrence story. Um, uh, and so sign me up for that. IDW, uh, I will uh, I will leave my phone number in the, uh, in, the, <laughs> in, the, in the show notes here. Give me a fucking call. And, it, 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 and, and that's mine. And we're all different. And, you know, I mean, I have the luxury of of you know the comics got to be the side hustle and stuff like that and so i i don't have to necessarily you know worry about okay well let me take the highest paying and the most prestigious and all that stuff um but regardless if if i didn't have a if i didn't have two cents to rub together and i was <laughs> give me johnny lawrence mm -hmm. well, i think that that's that's also something like when you first when we first started talking about our arts as creators i said i didn't really have a plan and i think Having a plan is good. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't have a plan. Don't just barrel into rooms and, and guns blazing. But I didn't really have any expectation, I guess was was what I mean when I say that. And that I just wanted to make comics. I just wanted to draw. I just wanted to draw stories. Um, and I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't care if I got into be, uh, the big twos, you know, crosshairs, but it wasn't my goal when I started. My right. goal was that I just wanted to tell comics. And if I got Batman money or I got Wonder Woman money, then that's just icing on the cake. Um, and that would feel like maybe validation or, or, or under, better understanding that I'm doing quality work or I'm doing better work that, that is warranting that, that those eyeballs. Um, so I don't know, I, I think going into it with without the rose tinted glasses on and without like laser vision on on the one thing sure like keep keep yeah. your blinders off and keep keep your your uh plan of vision very broad so you can see those other opportunities that might crop up yeah, yeah. No, if your plan in comics is you know i'm just starting out and i have a web comic and a kickstarter and in five years i'm going to be writing superman stop now <laughs> you know don't don't do that to yourself that's ridiculous and it's unnecessary because that's but not I think you you could have it back here you know like okay. it's in the back but it's not where all of your efforts are going like yeah. you know yeah you literally do a bunch of different things <laughs> nobody knows anything yeah you don't know what you're going to be if you had asked me, you know, 30 years ago, you're going to be a comic book artist, writer. What's the first character you think you're going to write? A steampunk version of Vampirella did not exist and would not have been on my list uh, for a thousand reasons. But holy shit, did I love doing that comic. And she's an amazing character and it launched my entire career. Um, yeah. Without selling terribly well, to be honest. 
but it didn't sell well, but I hit my friggin' deadlines and those scripts were very good. And I think, so that's yeah. why they still hire me, you know? Yeah. I think for me, it's like, or um, like the way I kind of separate it in my head is it's like keeping in mind that like some things are dreams and some things are goals and you can't kind of, if you mix the two up, then you're kind of inviting disappointment and heartbreak into your life. And the way I kind of divide them is like dreams are things that like would be fucking awesome if they happened. Goals are things that I can like work towards and achieve. You know what I mean? So it's like, it might be my dream to write Wolverine or Batman. There's nothing really I can do to like make that happen. You know what I mean? That Like a lot of things, a lot of things kind of have to line up in order for that to happen. But like my goal can be that I'm going to write some kick-ass stories that if anybody at Marvel or DC ever read them would want to give me a job. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think that that's kind of how I separated my head where it's like less about the outcome and more about like focusing on the stuff that's under my control. Like I can control like what I write what projects I work on and stuff like that and focus on doing a good job. And then like the dreams are just sort of like opportunities that I would love if they came along, but yeah, no, you still gotta, you still gotta get really lucky, but you have to work very hard to be in a position to get lucky. Right. So you also have to have a sense of reality about, you know, not just the comic book industry, but how life is. Uh, My wife is a lifelong star Wars fan. And she got a gig as a costumer on making costumes, being a seamstress on the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And before she started it, I said, I just want you to remember that this job might be awful. (laughs) Like you're going to go in and be really exciting, excited, but the supervisor could be the worst person in the world. You don't, I don't want this to be a crushing disappointment if it turns out to not be everything you ever dreamed it was. As it turned out, that show was amazing. Everyone she worked with was great. She made a new best friend on the, you know, in the workroom on that show. Other things she has worked on that may have been lifelong dreams did not work out that way. But it's that thing of like, yeah, you might get an opportunity to write character X and it's going to be the worst possible version of it. And the editor is going to, push you in a direction that you think is apocalyptically dumb and you just have to go okay it's a pity that i got to write batman and the batman i'm writing is the one where he's trapped in the body of an eight-year-old okay well i'll I'll make that work you know uh it's not what i wanted you know i have a friend and i won't name any of the names his favorite comic of all time he got a chance to draw it and it was one of the worst experiences in the business he's ever had And I hope to one day write that character and redeem that experience for him and say, here, you can have a good experience because I wrote you a script that you want to draw instead of one you don't want to draw. Hopefully no one will do a lot of math in their head and figure out what I'm talking about. But uh, who are his friends and what are their favorite characters? But, um, but yeah, it's, you know, you, so even that, it's like, yeah, you might get to do the thing you really wanted to do, and it might not be great. So why not just focus on the things that you're doing? And I think you made a great point, Rich, dreams and goals. You know, it's nice to have dreams. It's nicer to have goals. And it's and focus on the goals and focus on what's in front of you. You know, that's the... 
and also I have to say it's like the joy of playing with other people's action figures is really something like getting to getting to work in that bigger world that is you know pop culture relevance is amazing but the charge of your own thing that you created that's all yours man that's a whole different charge and i i'm sure there are people who will never their only interest is in stuff other people created and you know i'm not i'm absolutely not going to name names because this would become the most unpopular opinion ever there are great artists who are incredible at what they do who have no ability to create original things and are just amazing at pastiches of other people's things and that's its own talent but i hope i never find myself in that space where i'm not creating something that's mine that belongs to me that's not just here's this here's the public domain version of this thing that you like um you know or here's this thing that you like you know it would be great to write some of these iconic characters but like I don't have the thing in my head that's like, I'm going to write Superman and it's going to be the best Superman that I, Mark Wade and Kurt Busiek are going to be better at Superman than me. That's fine. That's, that's, that's fine. You know, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, those guys are specialists. Um, you know, so it's, it is balancing expectation with reality and, and, and enjoying, you know, to bring it home, you know, to enjoying the work that you're doing and finding the way in, to whatever, whatever thing you've been pitched, whatever thing has been handed to you to play with. It's like, okay, well, what, what is my take on this that makes it mean something to me? And if you go that direction, I think you always end up with something worth seeing. Um, it just sometimes, it you know, my, my example is always the Fantastic Four. And I like the Fantastic Four. I think in the right hands, they can be great. But I always use the example if Casada called me tomorrow and said, you're doing the Fantastic Four, I would, within a few days, I would get to the right place. But when I hung up the phone, I'd be like, uh, I guess they fight the Doctor Doom and the Cosmic Cube, but what? Galactus, I don't know. Uh, you know, and I think it, you know, the, the, real, the real talent in this business is take a deep breath and go, God damn it! I care about the Fantastic Four. What what can I do? What uh, clear all that junk out of your mind? And I'm gonna bring my A game to this thing that that's been uh, that's been served up to me. And then at the end of it, maybe you do really really like the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> that always happened to me that uh, yeah. I was reluctant to do both Betty Page and Elvira. In the abstract, I went, oh, "This is some Xenoscope girly magazine stuff. Mm. And I don't want to write that." And uh, I researched both people thoroughly and went, no, those are actually kind of amazing women. And if I write them honestly, I can make an amazing comic book that's not a girly magazine. Um, and luckily, you know, Dynamite and uh, both estates, Betty's estate and the real Cassandra Peterson were all completely on board with the directions I went, which they might not have been, you know, I've said this before, but I did, I did a two issue, three issue run of Betty Page where she was in British army fatigues for two and a half issues. And I really, I had a moment on the third or fourth issue. I was like, you realize this is a Betty Page comic, right? You should maybe put her in a nice dress with some makeup on or something at some point. 
Uh, I don't know that people are buying this to see her wear fatigues for three issues. But that <laughs> story worked out, and honestly, no one complained. I didn't get a single, have you forgotten that she should be in a bikini every once in a while? Like, isn't that kind of why you're doing this book? It's like, not really, not really. But anyway, we have reached uh, a, a pretty a pretty deep time running time on this, so we should probably wrap up. Uh, we usually wrap up with asking people where they can be found and what they have next. So, Rich, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, so you can find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram uh, at rduek. That's r d o u e k, and that's my website as well, rduek.com. Um, and there you will see. Uh, I currently have a series called Happy Hill coming out with uh, my friend Joe Mulvey. Um, we're, we've been uh, kickstarting every issue so far, and it's been great. Also available at comic stores. Um, and what's coming up next for me is uh, a book called The Ocean Will Take Us, a uh, horror story from uh, Aftershock, and that will be out in April. Very nice. And Skylar, what you got? Yeah, um, you can find me at, at Sky Patridge on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, my website's skylarpatridge.com, super simple. And then this upcoming week, uh, March 8th, is Trial of the Amazon Starts with DC. And so that's my big thing that's coming out soon. Nice. And then hopefully here toward the end of the year, I will have the at least more news on the the big fantasy graphic novel that I mentioned earlier with Alex DeCampi. So that's taking nice. shape soon. How many pages um, is that? Uh, I about three hundred pages. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I was. Yeah. I there were things I was expecting. That was not among the things I was expecting to hear. <laughs> yeah, three hundred page graphic novel, and you can see my whole trajectory <laughs> from like newbie artist to now. So. <laughs> wow. Awesome. How long does yeah. it take to draw three hundred pages while you're doing other work? Well, this this book has been a little different. We started off very slow um, because we didn't have a publisher attached. So it was kind of, we, we baby stepped through the about the first year of production mm -hmm. with it. Um, it varies. I think some people say anywhere from one to two years. Um, it kind of just depends on how fast and where the money is and, and yeah. all of the extra stuff that comes into play. That is an effort. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That's R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T if you're not watching, if you're just listening. Um, it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly saddled, uh, drunken, drunkenly saddled me with it. Uh, and so now I have to spell it for you. Excuse me, I can't uh, speak right now. Um, my books, the uh, Ringo Award-winning Aberrant and the four-time Ringo-nominated uh, Banjacks are available in fine comic shops everywhere. And uh, via Amazon, I, I usually say Amazon and Comixology, but Comixology is no more, RIP. Um, so uh, um, yeah, but go to your comic shop and get those, uh, always better. Um, my my Kickstarter books, the uh, Astral Projection Thriller of the Jump and the Fargo-esque crime drama, The Peacekeepers, uh, you can get those via my backer kit uh, shop right now. If you go to thejump2.backerkit.com, it's the jump one word. Uh, and the number two, the jump to .com. Uh You can get those. You can get signed copies of Everett and Banjax and um, rare con variants and all that stuff. It's kind of a one-stop Ryland Grant shop. So a uh, good, um, good place to go if you're interested. Uh, and then my latest and greatest, the Tokusatsu joint uh, Suicide Jockeys. Um, 
the uh, the series one trade paperback um, was supposed to hit comic shops on Wednesday. It didn't hit mine. Uh, I have not seen an updated release schedule from Diamond. It is uh, falling victim to the paper shortage right now. Um, so it your comic shop may have it. It may not have it uh, for a week or two. I don't know, but it is a rollicking good time. Uh, tokusatsu for the uninitiated is the... Um, Japanese sci-fi uh, action genre that includes things like Voltron and Power Rangers, but it also includes Kaiju Fair like Godzilla. Um, Suicide Jockeys in a nutshell is sort of Fast and the Furious meets uh, Voltron um, with an extra dollop of heart and soul. It's really um, a, uh, an examination of a non-traditional family when you get down to it. Um, but it has been received very well. If you care about such things, I think it's currently sitting at a 9.2 on um, Comic Book Roundup. Uh, so if that, you know, matters to you, I don't know, people have, have dug it. They have, uh, taken it, uh, uh, the way that we were supposed to take it. It is a, uh, fun, uh, kick you in the teeth. Good time. So, uh, yeah, go check it out. We had, we had fun doing it. Uh, send us home, Avalone. So, uh, I can be found at David freelance.com, which branches off to all of the various social things. Luckily I have an easily Googleable name in the 21st century. Uh, I think Skylar, Rich, and Riley, we all have more easily Google-able names than the average uh, Joe Smith comic book creator. Um, so that's nice. Uh, coming out in uh, next, uh, today, when this drops, will be Elvira meets Vincent Price number five, which, as I said earlier, sets up Elvira in Horrorland number one. Uh, the Horrorland series is we discover that. Uh, all movies create little pocket universes of their own, little dimensions, and Elvira finds herself stumbling in the first issue through Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho uh, and creating a mess. And uh, the second issue has the title, She's a Kubrick House, uh, if you want to guess what that one's about. And uh, coming in July, we have uh, made a deal for my indie comic uh, co-created with Kevin Eastman, uh, Drawing Blood will be coming out. Drawing Blood number one will drop from Scout Comics in July, right before uh, San Diego Comic Con, where we will be. And uh, that'll that's going to run twelve issues, gang. So get in early, stay in, and uh, follow the whole exciting Drawing Blood. Very quickly is um, a a semi-autobiographical tale of a comic book creator who comes up with a billion-dollar worldwide franchise in his living room, uh, sells it off, invests it in a uh, exotic publishing venture, stop me if you've heard this one, and uh, how he sort of is dealing with the aftermath of all of that. That's all for this exciting episode of The Writer's Block. Thank you so much to Rich and Skylar for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on The Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.